This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. Yo, what's up, everybody? It's Richie, Post America Podcast. We're back, and uh, no Mav. Mav is a little sick, as you heard. COVID nineteen. Mad Joe's working. I'm doing a one on one with our good friend, special guest, big influence, Lou Kohler from Sick of It All. How you doing, Lou? What's up? Doing all right. Listen, in officially, Sick of It All starts in 1986, right? Yeah. Since then, have you, as a band, existed during a, a crazier time than the, the current time? No way. I mean, we've been through, you know, what, the stock market crash and, you know, real estate crash and, and I don't know how many wars. Well, they never stopped. But this is just, you know, I, in my life, I never thought I'd be in this, you know? Yeah, and lyrically, you guys, you, you get political. You talk about a lot of subjects, but not, I'm not sure. Have you ever touched upon a possible pandemic topic? <laughs> no, no. I mean, the closest thing came in uh, Just Like Around. We wrote like a, a couple of songs about the AIDS epidemic, you know, mm-hmm. and how uh, it needs, you know, because back then uh, people weren't taking it not that they weren't taking it serious, but uh, it was in the gay community. It was very, you know, taken seriously, but everywhere else it was like, oh, I'm not gay. I'm not going to get it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that album, that, that had a lot of lyrics that are relevant to today. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if we're not just talking about the pandemic, just the current climate, how people are just hating on each other, the division, you know? Yeah. That's another thing. I thought, you know, we're progressing and all that shit. And, you know, I wasn't like, oh, racism's over, but you knew it was getting better. And all of a sudden now, like just the other day, I posted a picture uh, from Omaha or, or Oregon, Oregon, uh-huh. I think. And on the back of the guy's truck, he had F, you know, the N word, Trump 2020. And I was oh, like, God. this is a guy driving around in the actual streets with that painted on his window. How do you get away with that? You know, why would you do that either? Why would you do that? Like that is... <laughs> It's, what do you think is the cause of this? Is it all because of one, one like volatile man that just brought out the worst of people? Like, what do you think causes? I think it was. It's always under the surface, and and I understand it to a certain extent. Like, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I was. You know, I was never uh, because my mom was a little girl in France during World War II when the Germans came in, and she uh-huh. always told us, you you know, she lived through all that shit, and she would tell me stories about her family and family's friends and especially the, uh, there was a Jewish family. They just disappeared one day. They said the SS came in and they never saw that family again. Wow. But you know, it, it, when you're growing up, like I grew up in a, it was a mixed neighborhood, but it wasn't, there was no, uh, black people. It was, it was Hispanic and white and Chinese and all that, you know? So you, yeah, everybody, you know, racial jokes or whatever. But as you grow older, you realize, you know, when people will walk around there, uh, like, when public enemies start getting big, every war, the African medallions and the black fist and black power. And you'd say, yeah, but well, what about white? What about white people? What if I said white power and this and that, you, you know, it's, it's like a defense mechanism, I guess, you know, yeah. I see it today. You see people with 
white lives matter too. And it's like, they're not saying white lives don't matter. It's just, you know, they're the ones being choked to death. You can look at the videos where there'll be a cop. There was one of a cop pulling some guy over in a truck and he's telling the guy, don't you get in that truck? And, the, and it's a white guy. And he's like, fuck you. I'm going to my truck. And he got in his truck, you know, yeah, now yeah. the other one, they're telling the guy not to get in his car, the black guy. And then they shoot him seven times in the back when he gets in his car. Why didn't mm. they shoot that big white guy? You know, different outcome. Definitely. Yeah. But like we were saying, it's, that's what I think they think when people are saying black lives matter or what are, you know, brown, brown people are oppressed that, you know, they like, you know, I have two brothers who work in, uh, work for the city and they've, you know, had their own construction companies and all that. And, you know, they're like, ah, it's black lives matter. What gives a shit? You know, cause they don't project racism. They feel that like, you know, everybody else is like them. It's like, yeah, I, you know, my guy, my guy, John over here, he's black. I don't give a shit. We work together. We hang out, you know, they don't understand it. There's a, there really is a problem. You know? Yeah. They're not seeing beyond their nose, as exactly. we heard in lyrics from the past. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a crazy time, and we, you know we have to just worry about our scene, and our our scene is like a a fraction within the bigger music scene and the whole music industry. And there's only a handful of bands that come out of our scene that that were good enough, worked hard enough that they, they could make a living out of this music, you know? Yeah. And had the balls. You, you need to have balls and just commit, you know, commit yeah. to it. And you guys are one of those bands. So now oh, you got the, 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 the rug ripped out from underneath you out of nowhere. And how long have you been playing music consistently as a, as a career? Uh, I always go back to the last time I physically, you know, uh, held a a regular job which was you know five days a week uh-huh. friday night jump in the van do the weekend tour get back monday morning at 6 a.m go right into work and that was 1997 you know i would go on tour after that we were touring a hell because back then that was the uh scratch of surface built to last era we were touring for almost 11 months out of the year wow so then i'd come home and i'd work a couple of weekends with my brothers on their, their, you know, garage door business and, you know, this and stuff like that. But the last full-time job was, uh, early 97. 97. Yeah. So you did That's about, joke. <laughs> you did like a little over 10 years of, of the music and, and working full and working full time then. Yeah. And then, yeah. then you just, you guys just, and, you know, big props, big props to Armand because at that time we, uh, we parted ways with our manager and all that. And, uh, we do have management and stuff like that, but Armand, you know, he, uh, he took the reins and he, he's the guy who he kind of likes it. He likes to sit there and figure out the budget of the tour, you know, the routing, what's going to make it the cheapest way to make the most profit so that we don't have to, Oh, we got to triple our ticket price to make money. You know, what a creepy guy. That's like the last part of the whole tour. I'd want to be involved with. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know why he loves it. (laughs) (laughs) You need a guy like that though. That's like a a big ass. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so you did it since 97, you've been doing this game and you've been doing well and, and this happens like what you guys, you, you probably have more inside information, inside insight than, than other people because it's your, it's your career. But do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? Any dates people are talking about to get back on track? I, you know, the, one of the biggest things when this started, uh, we had the AF tour planned, us and AF and we had crown of thorns on it for part of it. 
Uh-huh. And uh, then all of a sudden it was, you, you know, this thing hit and everybody's like, all right, we're just going to push the dates back till August. And then they were going to push it back to September. And the whole time we were looking at each other, this shit's not going to, we're not going to play live until late, you know, 2021. And I don't even personally, I don't think not till 2022 or if they get a vaccine. And even then you're going to have to wait to see how good that is, you know? Jeez, man. So, I mean, that's, uh, I felt bad because people would write to us saying, Hey, these dates you just posted, uh, you know, is it going to happen? And I would, I, I would sit there and be like, well, I'm not supposed to say anything. Not that I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to, I tell them straight out. I'd be like, yeah, I don't think they're going to happen. Yeah. Uh, the reason being is because not only we're affected, but all the clubs and all the people that work at the clubs or stage hands at the theaters, you know, they needed your, the people who bought advanced tickets to keep their money in there so they could keep it in the bank. If everybody starts hitting for refunds, you know, they lose their, their yeah. clubs. That's a, a bunch of clubs have closed all over the world, which sucks. Some Definitely. Like, and, uh, and, and I remember you guys had something planned in South America, uh, or maybe around March. Yeah. It was right at the beginning of this, right after February. And I remember hearing that you were, you, you were sick. And that was like the early talk of this virus. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. does Lou have that, that virus? <laughs> well, I thought of it, too. Like, it was, uh, it was funny because I was feeling fine and then, you know, rehearsing on my own and getting ready for tour. And then one day, about three days before the tour, I woke up and I was just feeling run down. So I just took it easy. And then it was literally one day before the tour, I woke up uh, that night. I was sweating the whole night, woke up, had 104 fever, wow. went to the hospital that morning. And they did a, they gave me a flu test first. And the lady came back and said, yeah, you got the flu. You know, and says, you're not flying anywhere. Cancel everything. And I go, it's not that other thing. You know, she goes, oh, what, COVID? She goes, if you didn't get, if it wasn't, the, if the flu didn't come back positive, we would have to give you a COVID test. And, but thinking back on it, the test back then didn't even work, you know. Mm-hmm. But thank oh, God it, it was just is it possible? Is it possible you did have it? No, uh, from what I it's weird because a lot the, of my is friends the flu who test have it, completely different. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, they did the same thing. They swabbed my, well, they swabbed my throat and, uh-huh. uh, I didn't do much. Like I, I just took a COVID test, uh, a few weeks ago cause I had to go visit my parents uh-huh. and you know, they're old and I don't want, and they're both on chemo. So oh, I, I did the test, you know, and I, and I didn't have it, uh, but I didn't even have the antibodies, which shows supposedly shows I've never had it. So. Okay. Yeah, that's what they say. If you, if, yeah, but like get, you said, supposedly we we don't yeah, know everything. Because I get you get different stories. I have several friends who've had it, and most of them say that it is the worst. Like you think you're drowning all day. You can't just breathe. Even just laying there, you can't even like when it really hits you. Like at uh-huh. the peak of it, my friends are all telling me they're just laying in bed, couldn't move their arms because it would just be so much effort, and and they couldn't breathe, and. uh but some of them say like, yeah, I got the test and they say I have the antibodies. I just felt like I was tired. So it's weird. I don't know if it affects people different ways or different strains of it. It must because you hear so many stories. Some people are totally, they test positive and they don't feel like anything. Yeah. It's you crazy. Know? Yeah. But I remember that you guys had that South American thing and that was canceled Yeah, it's because, tough. because you were sick. And then looking back, you're probably so bummed. It might've been the last cool thing you did for a while. If yeah. You got to- but it was funny because I was sick for the, and, uh, we would have flew into Mexico 
and we I think we either were starting there and then I know we were ending in Brazil, but then, you know, within a week after I was sick, that's when they were like, all right, we're locking shit down and you shouldn't mm. fly here. You shouldn't fly there. You know, could you imagine we were stuck in like oh my Brazil God. during quarantine? <laughs> We'd just be sitting around That'd all be, in one room because you can't afford anything. That would be brutal. Yeah. And then here you got the, that, that dope agnostic front tour with Scarhead and that whole thing gets pushed back. And I know when we dealt with our booking agents, a couple things popped up December, you know, and then January. And then yeah. now it's just, I don't hear any talk of anything. I think everybody's just so unsure. No, here in this, for us in the States, I think they pushed the AF thing now to the spring of 2021. And again, I don't put any, you know, faith in that. And uh, we're getting all the dates that we had booked for the summer festivals, the really, you know, big and small in Europe. Uh-huh. They're all coming in now for the summer of 2021. But right now, as Americans, we can't even fly over there. Yeah. You know, so we'll see what happens. And do you think they'll, like, for those big festivals over there, do you think there'll be, like, capacity limits now and uh, attempts at social distancing in the crowd and stuff that's, like that? That's going to be weird because, uh, I, personally, I, I watched a couple of people do that. I saw, like the, like, the drive-in one, which is funny and all that, but it would just be weird to play like that. Have people, like, instead of cheering or dancing, they're sitting in their cars beeping the horn, you know? Yeah. But I watched this. It was a rock band, uh, uh, like a female ACDC, Mother Thunder or Thunder Mother, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he did a COVID tour, and it was all outdoor venues. And you know, venues that usually hold like five, 6,000 people, there was maybe 200 people in each. And they were all in their own little corrals that were separated. And then they were super far from the stage. I'm like, how the fuck is this fun? You yeah. Know? I mean, maybe for certain bands. Like if you're seeing Willie Nelson, I guess you wouldn't mind having yeah. that sort of vibe. But for hard it's not like shows. I get in the, the pit all the time, you know, I, but I like to be in the crowd sometimes. You know, I like to be up at, up at the yeah. front. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like for a hardcore show, this could be like this, an attempt at social distancing is devastating. You might as well not even have the show. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is, uh, it, it is crazy. This is, yeah, this is really crazy, but a couple cool things came out of it. You see bands, you know, doing extracurricular type stuff like you guys, you, I don't know if it was planned. It was going to come out anyway around that time, but you had the book come out. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and a lot of uh, good reviews. I, I had this book on or, a pre-order from my local record store and they still don't frigging got it. <laughs> but they're good. I don't want to call their name out because it's a real good store. Yeah, I know. They usually, I, don't, I, they usually I, have no issues, but yeah, it's, man, it's Joe like, is reading it and he's, he's giving me like great reviews here. That, I'm loving it. Oh, that's good. It, it, it turned out more to be a, it kind of like a long interview, you know? And it's just the same shit that we, the stories we tell all the time. We really wanted me and Pete, when they first approached us, uh-huh. we said like, you know, but sick of it all is all four of us. We, we practically grew up together in this, you know, we actually did, you know, we've, we've been in this, we, we've known each other way before the band too. Yeah. But they were saying because of all the other music books that come out, especially about hardcore, they need a new angle. So there was the brother angle, you know, and it, I mean, there's a lot of, that is a good almost. angle because it's just a, the story within the story. Yeah. And, and then if, saying, you, if you get Armand involved, he's going to get too anal about it. If you get Craig involved, <laughs> he's going to drive everybody nuts. You're better off going this It'll route. be like uh, turn to a conspiracy theory book, you know? <laughs> which is you know, not bad. But 
but no, I mean, uh, it's fun. The book got pushed back too because of COVID too. Oh, really? So I think that also helped uh, refuel the interest because it was doing really good in pre-orders. And then uh, right before we went to South America, we were supposed to go to South America, the pre-orders were great. And it was like number one pre-ordered punk book, metal book and whatever. Awesome. And then it died down. And then we announced, yeah, it's getting pushed back to, I think it was supposed to come out uh, for August 5th. It was pushed back to August 5th, and all of a sudden, the pre-order shot up again. So that was all right. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Almost like an intentional tactic, but we'll blame Yeah, you. I wish I was that smart. <laughs> and who approached you for the book? Was that Howie Abrams? Howie. I've known Howie for decades. And uh, he did the HR book, and he helped Roger with his book. And uh, he he's always been our champion. It's funny, like, Howie not disappeared, but, you know, we'd see him at shows once in a while after we, we worked with him when he was in Relativity Records. And, I, you know, I knew what he did. He became like a publicist and he signed the bands, you know, like uh, Lords of Brooklyn and uh, what's that? Bowling for Soup, I think, was one of his biggest because he all had all these pop hits. But Howie never gave up. He's not one of those guys who like, you know, goes off and works in this other part of the music industry and then doesn't mention that he, he would tell everybody how much he loves New York hardcore, how much he loves hardcore. Look Beautiful. at this band. Look at what Agnostic Front's still going, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That's why I respect him. He just loves the music. Yeah. yeah, and he's got a few books under his belt now, which is uh, which is really cool. But yeah, this is he's right though. This is a different angle, like the brother angle. So yeah. is there like in in the book? Are there like family stories not related to to the scene? A uh, little bit in the beginning, and then uh, again at the end, there's more. And then in in in, in, the, in the parts about us in the band and like the dynamics of like you know sometimes I have to be the buffer between Pete and the other two guys or you know, or, or it's always me and Pete against the other two guys and, and different arguments. But it's Have, fun. Has it ever been you and Pete on separate sides of an issue? Yes, of yeah. course, you know, but, but it's like, and it's funny because the way our family dynamic is me and Pete have two older brothers. It's like that too, where we get, we'll be at each other, you know, at opposite sides, but it doesn't get to the point where it's like, you know, fuck you, I'm going to kill you. It gets to the point where we're like, all right, whatever. And you walk away and then you either settle it later and when it calms down. And that's the same thing that Sick of It All does. And that's why we're still together. You know? Yeah, because, I mean, if just look at the, uh, at the run, you guys never, you never broke up and came back. And no. uh, basically, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe... Armand and, and Craig, not the original guys, but in from a very early point. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, uh, the, the original band that played the first lineup was, uh, that played the first show, you know, the, those two guys are in it for the first show and then gone. They were, yeah. you know, uh, Dave, uh, the drummer, went on to become, uh, he went right into the Marines, I think, after that. You know, he was just a kid looking for somewhere to belong. He became a, he was the first full blood, you know, full blooded Chinese white power skinhead i ever met you know wow that's awesome <laughs> and then uh and then he joined him the best thing was is after he left the band we haven't seen from years and then we, we were playing our first tour of california with the bad brains and we did a one-off show and uh here comes dave you know and the last time i saw him he was boots and braces you know shaved head white power chinese skinhead guy comes walking in and he goes oh i'm bringing a bunch of marines with me comes in all his brothers in the Marines, all black guys. It was the greatest hey, thing ever. Hey. I was like, do you know his past? And he was like, shut up, man. Said, shut up, That's crazy. 
but yeah to get along for that kind of stretch is is crazy man it's unheard of like uh i mentioned knuckle dust a lot you know those guys from london oh yeah just because that's they've been around a long time now it's always the, the same four guys from the beginning yeah. great and band too. they don't yeah. get uh i think because of being from england and like england they love aggressive music a lot but they're not metal they're not you know pop punk they're they're you know total london hardcore you know yeah straight up and they, i they, think they needed to get out more on a national you know uh international level but it's hard it's like we would even talk to mark like hey what about knuckle dust do a tour this is going back decades yeah and he would be like well german people don't want to hear english they want to hear american or german bands you know that mark then, always got an excuse for everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, now great dudes and they they're you know another example of people like i don't i don't know if they do get along or if they don't but i i do know they made it work somehow yeah you know but when it comes we to should, we should people, all get medals for being with totally. so long that's because that's impressive by itself <laughs> in, in any band like look at the biggest bands we like i mean if i guess if you look at black sabbath but they had a really long break from dealing with each other oh yeah but uh but if you you and Pete, and then you got two older brothers, you said, were yeah. they ever into the music scene or nah? Um, the oldest one, no. But the one who's a year older than me, uh, and he's the one. And it's really funny because Howie really is really upset. Uh, even though both of them uh, introduced us to music, Matt, the one who's a year older than me, he really turned us on to you know punk and hardcore. He would go to early shows at you know. Great Gildersleeves or the early Ritz, you know, he'd go to a yeah. show and I go, where are you going? Said, I'm going to see Suicidal Tendencies with Agnostic Front at the Ritz. I never knew that show happened, you know? <laughs> he went to see Anti-Nowhere League uh, play Seabees and the next night they played Great Gildersleeves, which used to be down the block from Seabees, you know? Wow. He used to go to all those crazy shows and then, but he didn't want to be interviewed in the book. <laughs> really? Yeah. How he kept calling him, I called him, Pete called him, just these guys tell you, he goes like, ah, I don't want to do it. That's, that's all he Jeez. said. Anti-social guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you imagine if Sick of It All was like, because you guys are a four-piece, the four Kohler brothers. Imagine if it went down like that. That would be insane. <laughs> yeah, it would. That, that might not be workable, though. I mean. Nah, I think then there I would got, definitely be fist fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, 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 I mean, the lineup you got, you got a monster drummer. The way, the way Armand plays is. Yeah like a uh, freight train style. Yeah. You got a great bass player with an insane resume and you probably right. have the best live guitar player. I can't believe the, the shape that that guy's in. Like yeah. he could keep that standing. It, it's funny. I, I, I joke around and tell it's a, like people tell people in interviews or whatever. I'd be like, yeah, he's like the Angus Young hardcore. And it, it, it really is. You know? Yeah. He can play, but he loves to move. He, he writes songs. He, I would tell him, like, why you put a solo there? He goes, what, so I have to stand still? <laughs> He's got to stop. He doesn't want to stop that motion. Yeah. When he does I mean, that spin thing, I'm like, oh, my God. What the <laughs> he fuck? got robbed by some. And it's funny because we would talk to, uh, like, doing the festivals. we play with bands we would never play with, like, uh, Taken Back Sunday and what's the other one? Story of the Year. I don't, know, I don't even know their music. Yeah, but I know their names. They were, like, you know, I guess more that early 2000 emo stuff and uh, they were doing stuff on stage and it would be like, we get everything from your brother. And I was like, really? Wow. He goes, yeah, we sick of it all. And, and 
you know, you never know who loves your band. And watching yeah. these guys go on stage, I'm like, holy shit, they think they're exactly like Pete, you know? That's cool, man. Now, now I got to look into that. Because yeah. I, would, I wouldn't think like th those types, I, like you said, I really, I'm not positive how they sound, but I know the names. Yeah. I know they're big bands. But that's just cool to know that they're, you know, they, they were fishing out of the yeah. hardcore influence a little bit. And we lucked out, you know, like Armand left to try to pursue a normal life and he started working for a record label and then he came back in the band. And uh, not again, nothing against Richie. Richie's really actually an amazing guitar player, Richie uh -huh. Cipriano. Uh -huh. And uh, he just played bass with us just for the fun of it and he loved it. But then after a while, he, you know, he wanted to, he still loves hardcore. He's always played hardcore, even though he's had these bands that were like, it's funny. He had bands that sounded like Godsmack before Godsmack. They just never could get the break. Oh man! And uh, but when Richie left, and we lucked out because AF was taking their their first hiatus or their hiatus back in was it ninety two ninety three, right after they broke up, Craig joined Sick of It All, and we didn't even rehearse. He he listened to all the uh, the the albums. I think we only had the first two albums out. The whole last AF tour. And then he got was home for three days, and we went on tour, sick of it all, in Biohazard all across the U.S. Damn, and it was fucking great. And it was when we played New York. Uh, our longtime friend, uh, Devil Dog, this guy John, he uh, drove us to all our early shows. He he looks at us. He goes, "Finally, now you sound like you should sound." You know, because Craig was in the band. Yeah, and you know what? Like the way he plays. If if you are in a four piece, you want a bass like that oh yeah the way he plays and, and his tone we got you have we two got guitars yeah you want to switch the tone up maybe you go a little cleaner a little yeah. less up front but, but he, yeah he, he to he know that he the, did that without practice yeah he, that's impressive. just sitting he tell his stories he'd, like, he'd be in the van they'd be going to like you know czech republic and he's listening to like Justin around and Vinny would be staring at him and he takes up what he goes you fucking traitor oh <laughs> nice then, you know joking around cause craig, but craig was like we're fucking breaking up old man <laughs> i know uh, Jeez, and craig was on he was on that run and he was on that album that one voice album which i oh, love yeah. masterpiece yeah. but think Great about his underrated resume. record underrated. i mean he, he, the guy was a youth of today straight ahead agnostic yep. front sick of it all and then crow mags yeah you know, that's just and but, other stuff you know that we're not we, even mentioning we got some stuff that we, uh, it's coming actually, I think coming out this week, just, you know, we recorded a bunch of in our own homes separately. And at the, you know, beginning of this thing, I don't know why it's taken so long to put it together, but, uh, I put a little snippet of it up a couple of weeks ago, yes, or, I saw or a that. couple of days ago. And the, the best thing in all the comments and messages, like, Holy shit. That who was the it? baseline. Does the, the basis of suicidal, Joe from Rise Again. So holy shit, there listen to that tone. Listen to that bass sound. And yeah. that's Craig and Jerry, you know, our producer, you know? And uh and, yeah. and that's the thing, our rhythm section. We Pete can go absolutely nuts and maybe he'll miss a note here and there. But Craig and Armine back there, it's not gonna matter. He's got yeah. that we got that wall of sound uh, rhythm section. Yeah, I heard that, I saw that clip and that's funny you said that because I texted him immediately and I'm like, yo, that bass line is dope, the sound. And then Here's he the gave me a, a response that was so long that I couldn't even almost read it. Like, <laughs> he just went, he goes through all his equipment and tells you what it is. You know what it is? Because even live sometimes, he gets close to that. Uh -huh. But unless he has red, that magical red bass, 
He even has a white one from the same exact company, the same year, and it does not sound exactly like that red base. Wow, red that base looks like it's on his last leg. What's he going to do when that sucker is unplayable? We were telling him to like, you know, put, you know, wood filler, get it nice and refinish, and he's like, "I'm afraid it's going to ruin the sound." <laughs> he you know, never it, takes it, it on tour anymore. It's strictly for studio now, he's which is smart. good. Yeah. yeah, preserve the life of that thing. Because that's beat to hell. I can't see how much you know torn <laughs> that thing could take. But yeah, that that little clip, and I told him, and he says, "Oh, I, it was actually a much more complicated uh, baseline, and uh, you know, it gave me some kind of time signature, but it didn't work out right." So I kind of, yeah, I'm like, "Oh, geez, I'm just trying to say it was." was we, good. we we tried to do songs that we haven't played live off the new record, and then a bunch of old ones that we haven't played in decades, and that that was one of them. And he switched the baseline up, and all of us. When we did all our parts, we were like, it just doesn't sound right, man. <laughs> Simplify it. Yeah. And whatever you came up with, that's that's good. And it, what is that? Is that like a, a, a new song or something? Or no, that's it? an old one. That's all we just played a little. It just we, sounds different. It's the way we did it. When it comes out, you'll, you'll sit there and go, oh, yeah, I get it. I mean, we actually did it on the, uh, what was that stupid thing? That, that Live at the Ritz with the. Uh, AF and Gorilla Biscuits. We do that song that way, you know. Oh, okay. Which is such an awesome release, man. That was cool. Yeah. I, I remember people were fiending for that, like because you know that was like the VCR. Not not uh, maybe three or four guys in the scene had it, and it would make its rounds, and you try to buy it, and you can never <laughs> find it. But that really got me into like sick of it all way back. And yeah, uh, I'm looking uh, like you guys. What is it? it do you consider it twelve? full-length albums or yeah, would you... I, I always go back and forth i i think it's 12 I, I have to sit down and count because then people say well you can't count this one you can't count that one you know i don't count the the tribute record i don't count that one but some people do i don't i don't know and if that's... you count the b-side one you know I don't. so is that what's what's the tribute one like the non-stop no no non-stop is just us. that's like that's an anniversary one uh, okay. The tribute was uh, Our Impact Will Be Felt. It's the one with, like, you know, Hatebreed was on it, Pennywise. Oh, got you, got the you. The one where okay. they all covered Sick of It All songs. Yeah, well, that was really cool, too. Yeah. But nonstop is, like, you redo a lot of, uh, you re-record stuff, right? Yeah. We will, it was the 25th anniversary, I think, or tw our 25th anniversary, and we were just like, what are we going to do? And I kept saying, I really hate when young kids, because we were still getting a hell of a lot of young kids coming, especially in Europe. And they were like, what, what album is that song? And they would only buy your newest record. So they would ask us, what is Injustice System on? What is this song on? Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, it's on this album, but it sounds like shit. You know, I know everybody loves those albums. I think they love it for the nostalgia. But if you sit down and listen to that and then sit down and listen to like Injustice System on nonstop, you'd be like, yeah, this is how totally. it's fucking played, you know? Yeah, yeah. When, yeah, uh, of course, you would want to hear it in like an updated modern, you know, production. Yeah, and stuff. like the way we play like so it live, good. you know. And yeah, and it's funny because uh, when when uh, Refused reunited and they came to New York, they asked me to come down, and they wanted to you know pay tribute to their you know bands that influenced them. So I think they had John Joseph go one night, and then I went for two nights to sing uh, Injustice System. And I went to the sound check that they wanted to practice it with me. And they played it so fucking slow, like the first like the, album speed. Like the original. Yeah. And then oh. I said, yeah, we kind of played a little faster. And then the, when it came time for the show, I came back and the drummer goes, hey, 
I watched a bunch of uh, videos of you guys on YouTube. I got it. It's going to be faster. <laughs> that's, that's crazy though, right? When you revisit your own stuff and it's... Uh, yeah, it's, I can't believe how it's fucking... It's almost, almost a different song. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. That's pretty... That's, that's like... A, that's pretty honor... Like a... Like the, the the way they honored you for that, that's cool. Yeah, man. it's cool. It's nice. They, they they've always been, you know. Again, and we we've been lucky. We get like, you know, uh, people like that who've who've excelled and and gone for way further than we ever could go. You know, uh, that still respect like the scene and 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 where they came from and who's influenced them. And it's also that we're not dicks to anybody. You know, no, they're, you guys are always always real cool. Like, you know, I mean, there's stories, and I don't want to name names. So I want to give people bad reputations or whatever. But there's stories of bands that, like, uh, I remember we took out Corn right when they started. You know, their manager asked us, asked our label, please, I want them to go out with a really great live band. Can you take my boys? We took them out, and we treated them cool as shit. And it was funny because at first they were very standoffish, and like we do our sound check, and when we take all sound checks, our roadies take longer than we do. You know. Yeah. They're setting shit up, whatever. We get up, we play two songs. Good, good. Change that sound. Okay, we're done. And the guys in corn would be like, be like, yeah, go ahead. You guys are up. And they look at us like all weird. Like, we, we can sound check? We're like, yeah, why wouldn't you? And it came like towards the end of the tour, more friendly with them. They would tell us stories of bands, bands that we knew that would treat them like absolute garbage. Wow. And just because I'm the headliner and blah, blah, blah. But we learned from bands, you know, like Sepultura took us on the road. We were the opening band. We went on a half hour before the doors opened and they said they can use full PA. Don't they, they had to yell at their sound man who kept coming out and telling our guy to turn it down. And uh, the two brothers went in and told him, you don't fucking tell anybody to turn anything down. Sick of it all gets full use of everything. And, you know, so we learned from that, you, you know, don't be scared of an opening band and treat them the way you always want to be treated. Yeah. I mean, it only makes sense. You know, I think I saw, I saw one of the shows with corn uh, maybe it was in. Um, did it hit the Stone Pony by any chance? That that it was somewhere else in Jersey. I can't remember the name of it. But in like Asbury, maybe. Mm, I, I thought it was by the beach, it. but I remember. And I I thought that like maybe House of Pain was on it. Is it? Nah, it was only us and Corn and Orange Nine Millimeter. Okay, maybe that's something different. I remember I thought I saw Corn with you guys one time, and they were the opener, and the place wasn't open in the doors. Like we could hear a band playing, but the doors weren't open yet. <laughs> like, but they, they were, you know, and I've been in that situation before where the club was like, all right, start. And the doors yeah. aren't open. Like, what? what yeah, that's some bullshit. Yeah. So I'm like, I'll, I'll start when people are in here. I'll play 10 minutes. I don't got to play 20 minutes. And, and exactly. After, after I mean, that, nobody. that when we were uh, doing the Bad Brains tour in 89, we were, they had a show at uh, either southern california university or something like that i think mm. and we weren't even on the bill we rolled up they said come with us because we were all on tour together and we were going to take the day off they're like nope come with us and we walk in and dr no and daryl go up and they go yes yeah, it all is going to play and the, of course the promoter freaked out and he's yelling and they go they don't play we're not going to play and he goes oh don't do that to me he goes, they got to play as soon as the door is open <laughs> and we were like we don't care we'll go play yeah good I hate these fucking club people sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I hope they survive this fucking thing. Yeah. Now, how's this? You guys, you, uh, you've you been doing this for a while. And we kind of, 
I always notice when I talk to the older guys from the New York hardcore scene, right? And you just mentioned the bad brains. They love the bad brains, but I'm not positive. I know with Craig, when I talk to him, he's like how influential bad brains are for him. How about for you personally? Was, was the bad brains like the, the big deal that, that I always hear about? Um, I don't think it, I love them. Like when I first heard them, cause I was at the time into everything fast, you know, you want a DRI alarm, all those crazy fast bands. And, uh, I remember Armine turning us on to bad brains uh-huh. and he goes, he goes, yeah, they got a lot of good fast stuff, but do a lot of boring reggae stuff too. You know, cause we were yeah. <laughs> 15 at the time. We just wanted what we wanted, you know, but as yeah. time progressed, it definitely, they became bigger in my, uh, you know, uh, admiration of them. My admiration of them became bigger and the understanding of what they were doing at that time and how insane and influential they were. And definitely once seeing them live, the first time I ever saw them live, I was like, that's how a band has to be. Mm. It, it just kept my attention. You know, they were like, so, and, and it got me excited. So, I mean, that's where a lot where we get it from, where Pete gets it from, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because I never, you know, I, I liked them, but I, I don't, you know, I wasn't crazy about them, but I didn't hit the, I didn't exist during their, you know, prime, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, if you see them, I mean, even, even in the early two thousands, when they do shows once in a while, I would go and be, you know, loving the music and the yeah. band tight as hell but hr was a, a wild card and i mean now that the book and the movie his documentary came out you understand why you know? yeah 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 a lot of so much respect in the new york hardcore scene for them yeah so but I, and it's funny they talk because we would take uh you know we'd out on the west coast we had a friend who he worked for afi a lot and he came out on the road with us and he would just sit there and go like, I don't get you guys love for the bad brains. I just don't get the bad brains. And we'd all just stare at him. We'd put on like, you know, the, the raw tape and say, listen to this. And he would just say, go, I don't get it. And I would sit there and be like, wait a minute. You love bad religion. You think that's why this stuff makes you want to smash a cop car window. And he's like, nah, it does nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I guess maybe you have to witness it. You had to be a witness to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a, with, with our kind of music, I think that's the case with a lot of bands. It is. I, I tell this story all the time. When after Scratch the Surface came out, we went on, we were doing a U.S. tour. We did two nights at the Whiskey. And uh, what's his name? The guy from the Melvins, Buzz. Buzz that's his name, right? Mm. The guy with the big afro. I'm not even sure, to be honest. Oh, well, the Melvins, you know, big artsy band, influenced uh, Nirvana, this and that. The, one of the producers on a record, he was good friends with them and he had sent them an advance of the, of scratch of surface. And he came down to the show and I, I met him before. He just goes, Hey, hi, like all calm. And then afterwards he had this big smile on his face. He goes, when I got your advance to your record, I listened to him. I said, yeah, it's aggressive. It's, it's okay. He goes, but seeing you live, Holy shit, I get it. And that's the thing. That's yeah. hardcore has to be seen live. Totally. Totally. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel. I remember uh, Victim in Pain for me didn't hit home when I first heard it. I was like, ah, these guys got a tune of guitars or something. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> but then when I saw it, I was like, oh, shit, this is hey, Agnostic Front. Wow. See, I was yeah. going to say that. It's like when we first got our lucky break to be on those festivals in Europe, you know, it was like they were all metal fests. And they, if they heard Sick of It All's records, they were like, eh. But we lucked out where there was some cancellation and – the guy go, all right, I could put sick of it all on the bill. And when people saw us live, they just lost their shit. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And the same thing with Biohazard. They got on those festivals, and people just was like, what the fuck is this? You know, because it was heavy, but it wasn't metal, and it's not, you know, punk to them was, you know, the, the poppy stuff that was just getting big at the time, like Offspring and Green Day. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a couple episodes back, I had Siv on, <laughs> and he was talking about early uh, European tours and getting on festivals and not really know, knowing how it would go over. But it turned out the hardcore stuff was going going over really well in front of like massive audiences. Yeah. yeah. And then you guys, you know, one of the main ones to open the door because over here, I mean, you're, you're kind of starting to see it in the last couple of years, but they just wouldn't have room for bands from the hardcore scene on any anything that would be similar yeah. Or relative to those big European festivals, like we have those big festivals here, but they would just be—we'd be excluded. Our kind yeah, of music. It, it's funny. To, like I would always sit here and be like, "Why can't we get on these?" And our bookings would be like, "Do you understand that since you know 1990, I've been submitting you guys for these things?" And the first thing they do is they look at your record sales. You know, uh-huh. but now record sales are irrelevant. So yeah. now they look at your age demographic. You know, mm-hmm. so. That's why you get your, your, you know, who's the hot young band? Uh, oh, you, you know, Turnstile or whoever or Code Orange. But, yeah. you know, a Code Orange could fit because they're way fucking heavier, you know? Yeah, it's very metal. And now yeah. Locked Loose, too. But they still have a hardcore element in there. Yeah. But I think those bands getting put on are now up in the Like, before COVID, us and Agnostic Front were going to be on two of the big ones with Metallica here in the States. I saw so that. We, we did tours festival tour in australia with metallica lincoln park we were on the fucking tour with these bands you know yeah we yeah did festivals with those huge bands in europe you have you know mm-hmm. how great is it i remember the first time we played in denmark a festival uh our stage was uh henry rollins band sick of it all and uh, i forget who the third band was and then we'd go oh iggy pop headline that stage and then we'd Crazy. go around and we'd watch aerosmith you know we'd be standing we're on the fucking same stage as Aerosmith right now watching them because we played that festival. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it could work up. here. They just, they don't, they think they know, but it's already it, a tested science. It works. Exactly. We've seen it. And to just bring it over, like look at and, the, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, just if they want to look at stuff, look at the videos online, you know? Yeah. It's already been done. And it's these, like we said, you know, but I also think Europeans are way more open-minded yeah but uh, i think we, americans we, at a fest could could be the same i just saw earlier today adam from uh h2o putting up a clip of uh a show they did not too long ago riot fest and it was great it looked like yeah. it could have been in in holland you know what i mean well, yeah uh, but riot fest is more of a uh a punk it does have more anyway. of a punk kind yeah. of yeah but yeah, i'm sorry if you're talking like mixing with the mainstream you know i mean uh of course we've done, we've done those like you know the we did the Milwaukee metal fest. I think we were the first hardcore band to ever do it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then it got bigger and bigger and more bands got in there, but like mainstream fests where we're like, we were so excited to play the one where it was not just cause it not as yeah, Metallica's playing. That's cool. But fucking, there was one had David Lee Roth and Leonard Skinner. We were good. Wow. We were psyched. You know, it's, was that one thing. down South somewhere? There was, yeah, that was North Carolina, and then another. the, the yeah. next one was in Florida. Okay, I and, remember uh, seeing the flyer for that North Carolina one. Yeah, thinking, that's why a lot of our, our friends in Florida are like, why aren't you playing Florida? Because, you know, to get on these festivals, to 
you know, try to expand our audience, which is, you know, everybody looks at that as a bad thing. And I understand when I was a kid and the guys who made fun of me for three years for liking Metallica, what the fuck is a Metallica? And all of a sudden masters of puppets comes out and they're all like Metallica, you know, (laughs) I understand you don't want, you know, assholes like that, liking your band, but as a musician, and it's funny, we always thought of this as we wanted to take hardcore because we loved it so much and be like the ambassadors. And we like, you know, that's why like they call us up and say, hey, Exodus needs an opener. This is in 19, 1988. They needed an opener for eight shows or six shows down the East Coast. And we said, all right, we'll do it. And then we became friends with Exodus right after that. It was fucking that's awesome. great. You have any, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Metallica fan. Like I love Metallica. You have any, any, uh, did you guys ever have like a relationship with those dudes or no, not a relationship. No, we, we play show the, my coolest story is not even that cool. It's like we went to see, and, and Craig has more stories because, uh, they lived at a friend of ours house in Bayside when they were recording the first album. So uh-huh. Craig was over there every, every day as a young kid, you know, hanging out with Metallica before they were anybody. <laughs> That's cool. And, uh, but we went to see their first show. Well, not their first show, but, uh, it was Venom's first time in America. And we all went to the show and Metallica opened. It was fucking, we loved it. And we're waiting back behind the stage, behind the theater. All of us, just young kids, you know, excited to meet Venom and Venom. And I'm sitting there waiting and this guy sits next to me and he looks at me and goes, so you like uh, Venom? And I was like, yeah. And then I look again, it was Cliff Burton. And I go, you guys are fucking great too. Uh, you know, I hear you staying in Jamaica and he goes, yeah. Like he was not happy about staying in uh, <laughs> our friends. Are, I mean, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a cool story. I don't care what you say. I like that story. <laughs> but we never had a relationship with it. even that tour in uh, Australia, where it was Meta- the first night before the tour started, Metallica threw a party for all the bands and it was packed. But, I couldn't even get up to say, Hey, I'm from Signal. I just wanted to thank you for inviting us. Cause they invited every band, but you, tr- you go to talk, you know, Kurt Hammett was surrounded by half of Anthrax and hate breed and this band. And then the guys in Lincoln park were all, you know, and, uh, and a hundred other people around James Hetfield. And, you know, you couldn't talk to any of them. So you Luke Cola, you, you, you plow <laughs> your way right up front. <laughs> yeah. Nah, that that's cool though. That's, that, that's just knowing that Metallica did that. Makes me like them more, because I, I I people like to clown on Metallica, and I'm like, come on, man. Hey, they did that Lulu record. That was they should never done that shit. They did a lot of goofy songs. Like <laughs> I, I can't say that I back. That's the thing. I love them all the way through Masters of Puppet, and then and yeah. a lot of people don't understand, but I didn't like, I did not like Liberty and Justice or whatever it was. I didn't and, like and Justice for All and Justice for All. I didn't like that one. Uh, Black Album had a couple of songs. There were a couple of songs on each record, but after that, you know, and even when Death Magnetic came out, I got all excited. I just looked at it. I was like, I'm not even going to buy it. <laughs> but I did buy, what was that last one? Because that song, Spit Out the Bone Hole. Wow, Man, that's a dope a song. song. What a fucking song. I, on paper, I would say that song couldn't work because how long it is, how many changes there are, but exactly. that's a hard song. That's yeah. what's good. That song is, I don't even notice it's that long. I just want more yeah. of it. I'm sitting there like, yeah. Yeah, just the snare, just with the picking. It's like, this is a cool yeah. fucking song. So we know they're still capable of writing the kind of songs that we love, but, <laughs> you know, they do their thing. I, I did like Injustice for All, but I could see why people wouldn't. Yeah. Really long songs and really weird. But uh, even 
when that song Saint Anger came out, people made fun. I just hated the snare. I didn't think the song, people like, oh, the whole song's bad. Go, no, no, no. I like the way they constructed it. I like the, the parts, the breaks, whatever. I just hated that fucking Why? snare. I, yeah, the snare sounded like an effect that you would want to open a song with and then everything kicks in and sounds big. Exactly. You but it just never fat. happened. Like, why did they go that route? I would love to ask him, like. I used to say that about Snapcase, too. I love Snapcase, but if you fucking piccolo snare is garbage. Get rid of <laughs> I want that fat back in black snare, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you I go. think uh, there was a, like, in the scene, everybody went for that piccolo, the real thin, tight snare yeah, for a while. at that one point. And that was, the in my eyes, another uh, generation that, that and the, the head of that was, uh, you know, Snapcase, Earth Crisis, and, and Strife. You know, yeah. and they all had that kind of similar, more metallic. Strife still kept the fast stuff, but they all had that more metallic groove, and they loved that piccolo snare. It was, yeah, it was hard <laughs> on the ears, man. I always gave. I always thought, uh, like Biohazard had sort of a that sound, but the way the way Danny would play the snare, it was so busy that exactly. you couldn't have too big of a snare because the the reverb it would itself get, would like it, yeah overlap. Yeah, I mean, then when we would talk about stuff, like, see. That's why for me, when Snapcase was using it, I was like, that's like a snare if you were doing a hell of a lot of fast shit. You Real busy, yeah. Don't even go mid-tempo half the time. You know, yep. it's just groove the whole way. Yeah. Well, you guys, you've been you've been through so many, just naming that little batch of, of bands that you named, you've been through so many different sounds and like preferences and, you know, what what's hyped up at what particular time. Yeah, that the Victory Band and the three you oh, mentioned yeah. right there, that was like a big deal for a while, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, added a three, I mean, none of them are particularly like my style, but I always loved earth crisis just for like the, the message and the live shows and yeah. Like such well, a, such see, a, cool I'm the, I, I like earth crisis, but I like Snapcase. Oh, they were fucking killer. Yeah. People love Snapcase. Yeah. They and probably had the best songs out of those three bands. It's funny because you talk to, you know, again, the guys are refused and we, we first met them at some festival. They loved, you know, they, they came from their little town and uh, Dennis, the singer and the, and the drummer would ask us, uh, Hey, if we put on a show, would you guys come up there? And we said, yeah, sure. We gave them Mark MAD's number. This is, you know, before refuse. So they made a band called refuse to play the show with us. And we brought Snapcase. And after that, they refused was just total in awe of Snapcase and followed like Snapcase's lead. And that's why when a lot of people are like, oh, The Shape of Punk to Come from Refuse, such a great album. And it is. It's an amazing, it's a game-changing album. But the fucking direct inspiration of that was Snapcase's progression through unlearning. When they dropped that record, Snap, uh, Refuse was like, we got to fucking come up with something wow, new. Wow, that's crazy. You know? So they kind of just formed up just to play the show. Something like that. I know they had other bands, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, when he, he even talks so about big. that, like they got like, like I, I didn't realize, didn't they? Like they broke up for a while and then it came back, right? What happened is they put that album out and it was such a groundbreaking inventive album. They were, and people were praising it, you know, uh, critics. Uh -huh. And they came to tour the United States and they were still playing the same fucking small places, even backyards, you know, garages. And, you know, because they had that super underground punk ethic, but they were also on the verge of being big and then it, nothing happened, you know? Uh -huh. And then I think it was on that tour, they just broke up. And then all of a sudden Anthrax covers the song, uh, the new noise song. And this, this band comes out and says, yeah. And then they had that whole wave of 
you know, uh, at the drive-in, all those bands, all as a direct result from that fucking album. And all of a sudden they were like, we, they, I would talk to Dennis when we were on tour. He had his other band, International Noise Conspiracy, and they would sit there and say, yeah, we got offered a shitload of money to play Coachello. I go, why aren't you doing it? He goes, it's just weird. You know, is it legit? Is it not? And then all of a sudden they were like, all right, let's try it. They reunited. Wow. You know what? That's awesome, though, because sometimes those the groundbreaking bands get overlooked. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. They actually kind of disappeared and came back, and then were were given the props that they they were due. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember see, seeing the show, the one that I went to sing at in Brooklyn, and there's guys from AFI, Rise Against, uh, whoever else was big at that time. They used yeah. all in the fucking pit. <laughs> They weren't like in the VIP like I was, you know, they were in the pit going berserk for the band that influenced and gave them their fucking careers, you know? That's really cool. Damn, man. Yeah, that's, and that's another, uh, another like the, the bands you just mentioned there, another grouping that had the, uh, maybe a little outside the scene, but still part of the scene, you know? Yeah, they all grew up from it. Right? Yeah. Like, like AFI, like we, we played with them when they were, you know, straight uh, California hardcore punk style, you know? Yeah. And then they started to progress in a certain direction and, and it just really worked for them. Uh, that tour we did with them in 99, it was uh, AFI, Hot Water Music and Indecision, like four bands from the hardcore scene, but everybody sounding different, you know? And we got along great. You know, we all came, we all talked about the same records we grew up loving, you know, made fun of them for not liking the Bad Brains, you know? <laughs> But it was, it's amazing. And, and that, those are more bands that like uh, really appreciate it. When we, we did a tour in 2001, I think, of Europe, and uh, I said, I want to take Rice Against. And they were just this, you know, uh, bad religion sounding band on, on uh, Fat Records. And I was like, nah, man, you don't understand. They, their songs are great. And we, we forced them, the, the promoters, they were all like, nobody's going to like this band. And then, you know, took them on a European tour and all of a sudden they get off fat records and go on a major and they're the, they, they draw like a festival sized crowd on their own in Europe, you know? Insane, man. That's but so those great. Those bands have never forgotten, like, uh, you know, Rise Against always talks to their booking agent, like, well, when we were all touring about like, oh, Sick of All has a new record, we want to take them out, you know? Uh, I was in a group call with AFI's management, AFI, our booking agent, and me, and we were talking about a, a possible tour, and their management was like, no offense to Sick of It All, we know they're a great band and all that, but they're not a new band. If you take out so-and-so and so-and-so, you're going to get the 12 to 16-year-olds that are no longer no AFI. Your 12 to 16-year-olds are now 20 to whatever. And the guys from AFI go, doesn't matter we wouldn't be the band we are if it wasn't for sick of all. I was like, so like, wow, you know, that's beautiful. Like, yeah. They tell like the guy who yeah. managed fucking, who's the band he managed? Like, I don't know, garbage and all those big alternative bands. They say, nah, we're taking sick of it all out. And I was like, and afterwards I'm calling like, you don't have to do that. Don't ruin your career. They're like, ah, <laughs> see like that. I don't know much about those bands, but that makes me like them. Like I like that's yeah, That's, that's an awesome story. Their integrity and stuff. That's yeah. That's, now, when you got this, the batch of current younger bands, like it seems, uh, you know, this whole, uh, the pandemic and, and everything going around, it seems like everybody's like 
attitude and where they stand is really exposed. I noticed that a lot of younger bands, you know, September 11th just passed mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, and I didn't see any kind of tributes or a little memory or or anything from so many bands in the scene about September 11th. And I was thinking maybe it's, they, they don't want to be perceived as patriotic or something yeah. like that. And like, uh, I, then uh, I would look and at also it's surreal to them, you know? I mean, yeah, it, it, maybe they were babies. Maybe they weren't even born when that happened, you know? Well, some of them, yeah, definitely were real young, but some yeah. were like in the mix. So when I say young bands, I mean, they're like in their thirties yeah, like now and stuff like that. Like they, they know what's up, but it's just a, a weird time because you even have a, a big group of people in the scene that are like, no, we, we won't play anything. We, you know, until we're told it's okay and safe to play. And yeah, it's sort of well, like any rebellious kind of attitude is gone. You yeah. Know? Well, it's, it, it, they don't have the attitude of, uh, I mean, for bands like us, you know, you guys and us, we have, uh, older followings as well as younger ones and uh if if we say play this and they're like well you can't play for that promoter because he said he likes girls boobs yeah, that's yeah. sexist you know and then we're gonna probably like we're kind of not untouchable because they you know you can't go too far but if we just play that show kids of people who are older fans are like hey i know these guys they're not assholes i'm gonna go see them anyway you know yeah yeah you know, i don't give a fuck what that promoter said you know so but maybe there's the more to bands lose are probably scatter or they can, you know, yeah, they can get, you, you could get canceled if you allow yourself to get, canceled. <laughs> that's how I see it. Like if I mean, somebody it, demands it, an apology to, uh, to you, like you, you better apologize was, for this. And then yeah, you do it. I, I, I was you, watching, uh, uh, seeing stuff online about all these different bands and all these different, but the thing about, you know, again, bands like us and all that, we didn't go into this, we came from the hardcore side and we, yeah, we love rock and roll. We love metal and all that, but we don't like that attitude. You know, like I'm better than you. I'm a God. We were the hardcore scene. Yeah. But I I know hardcore bands that came up with like, took total rock and roll style. Like, hey, yo, let's go. Where's the Coke in the bathroom? Where's this? Where's that? And, you know, and maybe not being so kind to their female fans or taking advantage of it. And now you see a lot of them coming out with bands. Oh, uh, we we are no longer associated with so and so from our band because of the <laughs> accusations put against him. It's like, yeah, well, maybe you should have told him back then not to be like taking Polaroids of girls peeing or whatever the hell he did, you know? Yeah, the creep. Yeah, that. Yeah, if I mean, there's definitely legitimate reasons to be called out, but there's also some stuff that's just off the wall, like you know. Yeah. Jeez, you know, you. Well, I mean, to it goes back to uh, if it's like when they were calling uh, sick of it all sellouts, you know, like back in the, whenever that was, was that early nineties, whatever the hell it was, when, you know, the CBs were still going and they were all like, you, you, you're on a major label. Cause we were on relativity mm. and you, you know, Sony owns that and Sony is bought by this corporation. So they make missiles. So you're supporting somebody who's bombing children in Pakistan. Oh my like, God. I'm what like, a connection. But, and I would sit, I, and I remember, saying to one of these guys you know some of them would be so agitated and but scared they were going to get beat up and other ones just talk to you con- and i said i go like why are you guys talking shit about murphy's law and their budweiser sponsorship because you get your face kicked in that's why yeah. you're talking to us like this because we're nice you know <laughs> and they would sit there and be like wouldn't have an answer because that's another reason 
Yeah, that's a good point. You're not going to cancel that culture. There. <laughs> that is a real good point. And that's cool you bring up Murphy's Law because uh, you guys took him on a couple tours. And, and it, it's like when I saw that, I don't know why it never struck me. Like, sick of it all, Murphy's Law would be a dope tour. But then I, I never thought of it until I saw it. I, and, and then I heard it worked out really good. Oh, man. It was great. It was fucking great. They, yeah. It, it, some, some nights you sit there and you're like, how the fuck am I going to follow that? You know, Jimmy yeah. is just that amazing, you know? <laughs> he it's is. so crazy. That and it was funny because it came about as, uh, for our 30th anniversary show, we, we had certain band. We brought our friends from Hong Kong because we, we promised them we were going, hey, come to America and we'll, we'll set up, like, I think it was five shows on the East Coast. And we had, uh, oh, what, what's Busky's band's name? I can't, I'm drawing a blank now. I forget. Fuck. But anyway, we had our friend uh, Jonathan Busky. Who, he was in Terror for a little while. Maximum Penalty, a bunch of other bands. His band, and we bring in the Street Dogs. And uh, when we play in New York, Pete goes, "I want to have Murphy's Law." And I was like, "The last few times of Murphy's Law, they were good, but they played way too long, you know." And and I go, Pete, you haven't been up here in a while. You live in Florida. You know, they're not the Murphy's Law. And Pete goes, no, we're having a party in New York for our 30-year anniversary. Murphy's Law is playing. And that's what sparked it again. They were so fucking good in that show. We were up in the, in the dressing room watching. And we, I turn and I go, thank God the fucking street dog's got to go on next. Because I don't want to follow that. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, but it that's, just worked out, man. It was awesome. Yeah, that's, that's like the guy yeah. is like – as a front man, who else is like that? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you think you would, like, he would be like the example almost. Like, after Murphy's Law, there'd be 10 guys like Jimmy. Yeah. But there's not because it's not easy. Yeah. You no. just aren't. You, it's it's more of a, like a natural thing. Like, you could learn how to move like this guy and how to appear like that guy. Yeah. But you just can't learn how to be like Jimmy G. Like, you know no. what I mean? No. And it's, I mean... Again, go go back to that Milwaukee Metal Fest. Just think of all those bands tuned down death metal, all that crap, and all of a sudden Murphy's Law, and then more death metal, and Murphy's Law fucking stole the show. That's so you know, awesome. it's like yeah. nothing but death metal, death metal. Then this guy's come out beer, weed, you know, flying rock and roll, go crazy, punk rock, and the place went absolutely nuts. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, a sick of it all. Murphy's Law tour is dope, and then this one that was going to happen with Agnostic Front, I was looking so far forward yeah. to that. But I think you were uh, trying to uh, remember the name. Was it Manipulate? That's Busky? it. I okay, knew it. Yeah, yeah, it was the M. Yeah, because yeah, he's been a, he's like in a lot of bands, and uh, that's the newest was, one, I think. Good, yeah. I hope he's putting more shit out. You know. Yeah, yeah. Busky just did a cool release of a uh, kind of like a zine, like a oh, dedicated yeah, to Earth, Earth Crisis. Crisis days, right? Very cool. Yeah. It's a, it's an awesome scene. And, yo, for your book, is there is there photos in the book or no? Not as much as I'd liked. You know, yeah. I, I wanted more, and uh, it, again, they wanted to keep it more like a, a, a almost like a zine slash, you know, uh, just long interview. And uh, uh, so it's it's just like reprint the black. It's got some funny pictures of us as kids, and then not too many live stuff because we did that uh, photo book on our thirty year anniversary again. And uh, that's got a shitload of photos. And it, but it's funny because then, you know, years later, you know, like three or four years now, uh, I'll be looking, I'll find like a stack of photos like, damn, these should have been in the book. So yeah. maybe, maybe on the next album, who knows? <laughs> that, that'd be cool. 
And with the book, like it's how how like when you said it was on the like uh, did you say I don't want to word it wrong punk rock music charts or something like what was that? No, like for Amazon, the uh, the uh, what do you call it? The pre-order things. It said it, w- it would say like I took screenshots to make my my mom proud and my dad. You know, <laughs> it would be like that is cool. Amazon man. number one uh, pre-order book in metal in metal biographies. Number one pre-order book in punk rock biographies. Number one pre-ordered in punk music books. You know, and it was just cool. You know, That's really I, cool. It, like the metal one, I think lasted uh, less than a day, but the others were like for a week. So it was nice. Yeah, that that's that's dope, man. Were your parents like excited about that or not? Yeah, they think so. Of course, my dad's calling me over. You know, you said this didn't happen that way, and I'm like, that was Pete that said that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, man, he's he's by the book, that guy. Oh he, yeah, he wants a reprint. <laughs> that's awesome. And you mentioned your mother was from France, right? Yeah, yeah. How about your dad? He's first generation uh, American. From uh, uh, his parents are from Hungary. Oh, so you got like, my like, mom is my mom's father, my grandfather, on my mother's side. He's full blood Italian, but he moved to France, uh, met a woman, you know, settled down there. So we're, I guess, uh, half and half French and Italian, and then the other uh, full half of uh, Hungarian Americans. So the code, the name Kohler, then that is that is that the hum- it's Hungarian. Uh-huh. Uh, some a lot of Czech people say it's Czech. Uh, German people tell me it's from Germany, but who knows? You know, I know so it's, it's, it's from, like a Slavic roots kind of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I I was in Austria. Uh, I forget the town where Arnold Schwarzenegger was born. And I'm walking down the street, and there's this huge family-run hardware gardening store and it has Kohler. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, <laughs> I took a picture since my dad. <laughs> Did you ever get to uh, play like the towns that your, uh, the, where your mother was born or no? Uh, the, the town she was actually born in and, and grew up in mostly, no. But uh, you know, the first time we went to Paris, my mother's older sister and her niece came. And that was amazing because there was we played this Basically, it was a, a place that had uh, rehearsal rooms, and then they had a big, big room for shows that was almost like a theater. And it was so old that even walking on the stage, the, the wood was like rubbery, you know? Wow. So we stuck my then 60-year-old aunt and my niece, uh, uh, my cousin, who was like in her late 20s or early 30s, and they just watched French punks and skins go absolutely <laughs> apeshit. <laughs> And she just smiled the whole time, like giggling. <laughs> that is awesome. Did you know her before that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Man. I just met him like through, you know, uh, them visiting here. When we went to France and we were real tiny, like Pete was uh, not even one year old when we went to Paris to, with our family. Oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha. But we went back a couple of times and, uh, you know, we met and uh, we did a tour with the Dropkick Murphys over there and, uh, I think we played, I can't think of, I think the name of the club was The Paradise. And my uncle, my father, my mother's oldest brother uh, was freaking out. He goes, he came around, I saw Hendrix there. And he's telling, he loved that no we're into music. And he was telling us how he saw Hendrix there. And he saw the, I don't know if he saw The Doors or somebody like that, you know, from that era. He saw all those bands play at that venue. And he was so proud that his nephews were playing at this venue. That's really cool, though. And yeah, how, about for, how about for the, the town, the, the area in Hungary? I mean, I'm sure you played Hungary at some point, but yeah, any well, like relatives did, come out or not? No, it's weird. No relatives, but a lot of like before we went to Hungary, we, we would play that place, the arena in, in uh, 
in Vienna, uh, the Hungarians would come travel to see us. Mm-hmm. And they would all hand us books about Hungary and say, you got to come and play for your family, your roots. Uh, but then, you know, we had family, I guess they're in Budapest, but my father never really kept touch with anybody there, you know? Oh, okay. okay. It's like my great, great, my great grandmother lived here in New York with, uh, with, you know, my grandmother. And, and I remember being a kid and they were telling us, we're going to see your great grandmother. You better behave. Cause she's, from the old country she's a gypsy <laughs> she'll give you the evil eye and we were scared shit and then you walk into this tiny sweet little old lady and you're scared to death of her that's crazy they had you all shook yeah we uh we did <laughs> one festival in hungary and there was a, a band that uh was a hungarian band and i swear these dudes were covered in wolf skin with like <laughs> the the wolf like face hanging over their faces yeah yeah and it was like this it was an outdoor festival in, in the middle of this like valley of like jagged looking mountains and stuff. Really scary wow. vibe, but really cool. And I was, we were talking to the, the wolf dudes for a while and they were saying not too many American bands came to whatever area this was, but yeah, it, that's, I think that's the only time I was there, but it looked like a really cool country. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we, we usually just play uh, Budapest. That's it, you know. I think we did one other show. I don't think we've ever played a festival in Hungary. No, you know, we've done a Czech Republic a bunch and stuff like that, you know, but never there. We've been Jeez. to Bulgaria. I tell you though, uh, I'm sure it's. I hope it's still the same, but they're so hungry for bands. And when we first went there, the crowds were insane. You know, like you know, you play there. They they just so starved for uh, yeah music to come through yeah i always like poland i always thought poland was just yeah, crazy Poland's like those people would go nuts yeah yeah and it was always uh like the, the booking agents would always kind of deter going into that part of europe like yeah if it wasn't worth it but i thought i it think was, it's just the cost of traveling and yeah all it is a pain in the butt and maybe the uh the facilities aren't the greatest but yeah but but i mean know. that's you know i mean that's the funny thing people think they see the pictures of the festivals they see you know Oh, you're in a tour bus. Your life is easier. Yeah, it, it it makes it easier, but you know, it's not like we still play. You know, even at this stage in our game, we're playing. Oh, it's a festival, and it's a squat put on festival, and it's like you know, you just hang out in a field all day. There's no hotel. There's no yeah, no no real bathroom facility. Yeah. Do you remember that place we played in in Italy in that junky park, like in the. And they just, it, we kind of just parked there all night to play. Yeah. It like the, yeah. I mean, a lot of people say they would want to do this stuff, but you see, you know, you see bands start it and then just be like, fuck this. We don't want to really tour. Yeah. Just, we'll just pop up well, my own I, I band. Mean, we don't tour like that. My, my dudes could never handle that. They'd go crazy. I mean, it's like, it's like going back to, you know, again, Richie was at a point, Richie Cipriano, when we did our first European tour, we did it. It was, I think, 28 shows in 30 days in the dead of fucking winter in germany and we'd be in a van after the show driving for six hours at night through those mountains and you're looking down you just see sheer off into pitch blackness and it's (laughs) snow and ice and we did that for a month and then the second european tour after that he was just like i can't do this anymore yeah barely getting sleep we barely eat you know yeah the the early tours that some of these hardcore bands did like, you know, let's say you guys definitely probably like Gorilla Biscuits, uh, 
who else was early in New York hardcore hit? Oh, New AF York? went over there and did some insane tours. AF, like, you, you yeah. know how many years before before John Joseph's book, before Roger's book, before every, I, we were all of us. Craig would uh, on those trips like that, and the, on those nights, Craig would sit there and just tell AF stories, and we would all sit there and go, "Why are you not putting this out in a book?" Yeah, and this is 1992. And he would just be like, ah, those guys did sue me or something, you know? <laughs> but, they, you know, they had some real shady dealings back then that Craig was always like, don't use my real name. Call me Craig ahead on this record. That's crazy. He's a little, <laughs> he's a little paranoid, though. We know that. Yeah. But, now, you, know, you, you, you know Craig well, and uh, he acts like he's like a representative for Amori Pizza in, <laughs> uh, in Queens. But. <laughs> Let's say four or five years ago, was he talking about that pizza place? No, four or five? No. not at all. And it was funny when he started praising it. I think it was all because of Jay, the bus driver. Definitely, yeah. Uh, he started praising. I think Jay took him there or whatever. He starts praising it, going crazy. And I was like, he's like, you never eat a Maury's. You got to go, this and that. And then one day they show me a photograph. Like, they go, dude, I used to work down the street. I ate there every Thursday for two years. I go cash my check <laughs> at lunch and go eat there. They go, it's good pizza. And they were like, what do you mean? It's just good pizza. And they'd flip out. I was like, so. Like, he's a New York guy. For him to be on a, a, like a new jack on a bandwagon of an old joint is kind of, it says something. You know what I mean? You figure I understand would, his love of it, but to, to yeah. put, you know. He puts. The, he puts personally, they, there was a place closer to where I used to live, uh, you know, with my, my parents called Pizza Garden. And I always thought, when I would go there every Thursday for two fucking years, I'd go there and be like, yeah, it's just like pizza garden, but they all flip out when I say that, you know, maybe yeah. pizza gardens, uh, recipe has changed since 1980, you know? Yeah. They get easily insulted over more. Oh, it's so funny. But you just, just mentioned Queens. What is it about Queens and hardcore? Like, cause you could go on from the earliest bands was kraut out of Queens. Yeah. yeah. Like it just Major go conflict kraut, uh, parts of Reagan youth, you know, what is it about Queens that produces all of these bands? I don't know. The Ramones started there. I don't know. You know, the, uh, even further back, it's funny. I lived, uh, ha one block from Flushing cemetery in Flushing Queens and uh -huh. you have Louis Armstrong and all these, uh, other jazz greats all buried in that cemetery. And I never knew, I always knew Louis Armstrong, but I never knew all these other guys and ladies were there. It's just, I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty something cool. in the water. Yeah. Whatever it is, like it, you, you don't like, we got Brooklyn. I mean, we can name a few dope Brooklyn bands and yeah, but I mean, the Bronx at, even less, but Queens is like, geez, especially for this kind of music. And yeah, even if you yeah. don't think a guy's from, like, you don't know the bands, you know, from Queens, but then you realize, oh, the guy, the, the guy that writes the songs, he's yeah. from Queens. And I mean, yeah, Token Entry, they were huge from, you know, from Queens, uh, Leeway, you know, all that yeah. shit. What was that band? Gilligan's, uh, what's Gilligan's name? Revenge. I was just yeah. Token Entry before they changed their name. Yeah, that was like the early version, right? Yeah. And it had to be like in there. And it's not like there was Early a 80s. central, yeah, it was, it's not like it was CB's where there was a central place where it all birthed. There was a place called the Coventry and it, it had other names too. Uh, I think, I think it was called the subway or something. Cause it was right at Queens Plaza where the seven train met the R train and it was this, you know, raised, uh, you know, platform and all this. And there was a club called the Coventry there and they would do mostly dance and disco. But I think Kiss played their first show there. 
uh, I remember going to see Reagan Youth there. Uh, token entry as Gilligan's Revenge played there, but it wasn't like everybody was there every weekend. You know, yeah. It's just I think you know we just loved it. We also in Queens we had garages like we would uh when it's in the book when my parents would go on vacation we would invite Armine and Craig and all those guys over because they were in straight ahead rest in pieces and we would just jam in our basement for hours on end and just go crazy <laughs> that's awesome man that is so cool i can't wait to get this book and uh, if i can after i get it and and because joe wanted to be on on this one with me too but he couldn't but uh could we get you back on and ask you more about uh, the book hell yeah I want to do one where you get, uh, you know, with Pete too, but I really, and I keep pushing this to Howie on the side. I'm saying you have to, I hope the book does really well. And then you should do a part two where it's Armand and Craig. Cause they're in our book too. They, they throw in on different, you know, yeah. albums or tours, their, their, their view of what happened. And, uh, I think they really should be one with Armand and Craig is, I mean, our books has got a lot of funny shit in it, but you know, if those two, if you get the right editor, <laughs> it'll yeah, it actually be, be really fucking fun. It could be really cool. And plus, Armand's story is also a story within the story, you know, coming <laughs> from, uh, like, you know, where do you come from, Syria or something like that? Uh, Iran, Iran. Iran. Oh, my. I said that on purpose just to get him upset. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before, before I even hung out with Armand, I had to go to summer school one year, and I was going to summer school in Jamaica, Queens, and I – after my you know class only lasted from like eight in the morning till 11 so at 11 30 i'm standing with all the other kids at the bus stop and here comes this dude riding this black bicycle old busted ass bicycle super long hair it's hot it's fucking summer black t-shirt bullet belt black ass jeans black oh, sneakers right. and he's riding by long ass hair and i'm looking wow that guy's got a bullet belt <laughs> years later turned out to be armand Armand sounded like a real creep when he was younger, like real anti-establishment type dude, right? Fuck, like just, yeah. That's awesome. He, he got attacked by, we used to call them uh, the Christian freedom fighters. All these kids that went to the same church as us and our parents, and they hated Armand because he wore an upside-down cross. That's, yo, that's a ballsy move back then, man. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. But listen, Lou, I'm going to let you go, and I really appreciate this. But, yeah, if we could, maybe we could get Pete on simultaneously when I get through this yeah. book because I'm going to have a lot of questions. But how can you get the book? Uh, you get it anywhere, like, online. Uh, the, to, you know, I mean, if you order it through, like you did, independent stores, that's, you know, we always try to push for that. Like, Generation yeah. has it. Uh, a New York Hardcore Comics in upstate New York. And, you know, of course, Europe, the Cortex and a bunch of other record stores have it. but. I mean, you also have your regular outlets like barnesandnobles.com and, and Amazon, you know. And is it a, is there an audible version? Not yet. There's a lot of, uh, we're trying to get one off the ground. Um, different people want to do it, but they all have their own ideas. They want to hire like professional, like smooth talking guy. Ah. How he wants it to be me and Pete, which I like too. But I totally. said, I want, if we do that, because there's, you know, of course, nobody's getting paid for this shit. You know, hopefully, on the back end. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping to get Armand and Craig to do their parts, and then we could all choose different people. Like Pete does Gary Holt from fucking Exodus, and you know, <laughs> I could do Kurt from DRI. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. It's I'd love for an, uh, an audible version. That'd be that'd be yeah. Uh, that'd I be... loved uh, John Joseph's audio book. That was exactly. Great. That was great. And that's why you guys you guys do it yourselves. <laughs> but when you hear John Joseph talking. You know, that's how he sounds. That's what he yeah. meant, you know? Yeah. That would be cool. 
All right, homie. Yo, I really appreciate this. And uh, I'll keep in touch and hopefully we'll do another one. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll like bombard you with stuff. But you what good? You Everything think? else good? You want to say anything? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. We're just like, like I said, people could just watch our social media for the our COVID jam videos, which we finished early in July, but for some reason aren't coming out till now. But it's it's worth Jeez. it. It's, the sound, we made sure, we didn't want to just throw shit out and be like, whatever, but the sound is great. You know? Who's the deadbeat? Who's making it take so long? <laughs> I can't name names, but we all know who it is. Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep it quiet. <laughs> all right, my man. Good Thank hearing you. from you, and uh, all the best to, to you and Sick of It All. I'll talk to you soon, okay, bro? Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Peace. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Post America Podcast will always be there for you. Don't forget that. Tune in next time for more fun with the boys. Until then, get your fucking ass out of here before I give you a smack, motherfucker! Who the fuck is this you in? This is Post America! You ain't shit, motherfucker!